of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it took, and, and above it stood seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this, was touched, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this to the people. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, we would want to see you just a glimpse of your glory, just a Lord, that you can speak to us from heaven. But, oh, Lord, may, you, may we have hearing ears and willful hearts to serve you. Oh, Father, we pray as, you, as a church. Here are we. Send us, Lord, into a lost and dying world. Lord, that as you have made us holy, as you have cleansed us from every sin, and yet, Lord, we realize we're sinners. And yet, Father, we pray that to the message that we would have, go and tell others what you've done for us. We pray your blessings upon your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the year that King Uzziah died, we have the setting here of Isaiah. As we looked at first, we saw the vision of Isaiah in chapter 1 and the condition of the country. And we'll see that again here in this passage or in the, the, the chapters around it. But uh, we see that uh, this was a significant time in the nation, in the history of the nation of Israel. If you want the backdrop of it, you can read Second Chronicles chapter 26, when it tells us that Uzziah was a good king of Israel. He was uh, 16 years, years old when he reigned, and he reigned for 52 years. Now, some of you, I don't think many of the people around today, I know that uh, my parents were born in the Depression during the, the time of, uh, of Franklin D. Roosevelt. And then if you read the stories about when he died, many people wondered what in the world is going to happen. He's, only, he's been our president for 12 years or whatever. And uh, 
it was really uh, a, a cataclysmic time for somebody. What's going to happen to our nation? Fortunately, we, you know, God raised up another man, but, uh, and fortunately, he's a very strong man, uh, Truman, who really uh, was probably better president than uh, Roosevelt. But at the same time, we see that uh, for 50, can you imagine most of us would not remember what it was like not to have a king for 52 years, right? I mean, if uh, and uh, some of, uh, so here we have uh, some of, many of you are not even 52 years old. So again, we see that uh, it would be a distant memory that we had ever had anybody else. And not only that, but uh, uh, we see that uh, he had a prophet that worked with him. And we know that the prophets really were uh, the preachers that kept the king straight. And uh, Zechariah was a mentor to, uh, to uh, Uzziah during his lifetime. But uh, Uzziah died, or excuse me, uh, uh, um, Zechariah died. And as a result, uh, during the, later on in his life, then we know that uh, in his 60s or 50s, actually, we see that, uh, that Uzziah be, became very proud in his heart and he forsook the Lord. Now, he was a great king in the sense that he was able to destroy many of the cities or many of the enemies around. He was able to build great uh, defenses for the country. He was world-renowned. I mean, it tells us that uh, the kings of the earth knew who Uzziah was. He was a very powerful uh, man on the stage of that stage of history. And so to have a king like that, and we know that uh, his son, Jotham, was going to be weaker. And so we see that, uh, but Uzziah, uh, when he got up older, the Bible tells us that uh, in the, one of the key verses there, he sought the Lord in the days of Zechariah when he, uh, he had, who had understanding and visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And so we see that God greatly blessed Uzziah. But we see his ruin and just a couple of few verses later. But when he was strong, verse 16 of chapter 26 of Second Chronicles. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. And we know that he said, well, I can all worship the Lord the way I want to. I don't like these priests telling me what to do. And so he went in and he offered incense on the altar and said, I'll pray to God myself. I'm the king around here. And the priest said, this is the office and you know what happened to Saul and you know what happened to others whenever they invaded the priest's office and you better let us do what God tells us to do. And you can imagine Isaiah may have been part of that at the time because he would have been around uh, in the last years of of uh, Uzziah's life. And we know that uh, the Bible tells us that uh, while Uzziah was arguing with him, the Lord struck him in the face, struck him on the forehead with leprosy. Now, the one thing about a man or anybody, but I remember uh, I had a man that uh, he was putting uh, carpet in his house and he thought he had latex glue. And actually he he didn't know, but uh, he had... uh, uh, oil-based glue and uh, that glue hit his uh, hot water heater pilot light and just blew the whole, nearly blew the whole house out. 
but uh, he was, had about 85% burns on his body. And I'll never forget going to the hospital, and the first thing he asked was, did it hit my face? You know, that's the one thing we don't want. I mean, you know, take my body, but don't, as we don't want our face to be disfigured. And here we see that the Lord knew how to bring a man down. And so if you're going to uh, cause this type of problem, I know how to bring shame to a person who's proud. And so we know, as you read the story, that uh, Uzziah stayed in his house. He was quarantined for the last 10 years of his life. And that would have been a time of limbo. Here you have a very strong king, but now all of a sudden you get all of the courtiers around that are really the power behind the throne that are operating and working um, the levers of government. Kind of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? And not only that, but you had a weak son that nobody really liked, and uh, they were afraid that, uh, you know, we get rid of him, then we're going to have somebody worse. Boy, that sounds familiar. But uh, it's been a couple of times in our history of our country, it's been like that. But uh, we see, so there was a very unsettled time. And so it was very important that whenever King Uzziah died, it seemed like the whole world was coming apart. Now all of a sudden, instead of power, the Israel, or Judah seemed like it was going downhill and things were becoming unsustainable. Debts were piling up. Uh, the northern kingdom had been wiped out. Sennacherib is uh, gaining a great deal of power. There's all kinds of things going on. Our nation is crumbling at the seams. Families are falling apart. Uh, Inflation is hitting. All these things are happening. Our education system is totally garbage. I mean, what what can we do? And this is where in the king, that when the king Uzziah died, Isaiah saw that God was still on the throne. Folks, God is still on the throne. Doesn't matter what's happening in the Middle East, doesn't matter what's happening in Washington, D.C. or Springfield, God is still on the throne and He controls the affairs of men. There is nothing that escapes His notice, there is nothing that is outside of His control. God is on the throne. And, folks, we need to get our eyes off of politics. I know I'm not saying that we shouldn't be cognizant of politics and be, and be responsible citizens. But politics is not what's going to save this country. It's going to be if God's people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven. Is God hearing us today as a nation? We have these big prayer meetings and so forth. Is God even caring or is he, is he hearing whenever we are still laden in our sins? And we see that in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. We need to put God back on the throne, folks. We need to put him back in the throne of our lives. Is God happy with our entertainment systems? Is God happy with what the books we read, the things we give our time to, our conversations in life? Is he, is he uh, happy with our private conduct? And so he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And of course, it's a very, very similar picture. Here's one of the times, and we don't have time to get into it this morning, but uh, the seraphim, six, six, uh, uh, six wings. And with two, he covered his face in humility. 
uh, with two he flew, which is the power, and two he covered his feet, which is the idea of, uh, of submission to the Lord. And so we see that uh, he, and this is a very similar picture that we see in Revelation 4 and 5, where the seraphim are around the throne of God. And Jesus is, folks, Jesus is on the throne in the Old Testament. Jesus is on the throne now. And Jesus will be on the throne when we see him in glory. He's always on the throne. And so we see that, uh, that his, his, and we notice that uh, his train filled, I mean, his presence filled the temple. And notice what these seraphim do. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. The, the three persons of God, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all are holy. He said, is the Lord of hosts. And again, we've seen that word. The idea he controls the forces of men. When you see that word, he's the captain of the armies. And so he's a, folks, he's on, the, he's on the throne, he's in control, and he will never be defeated. He's in, he's in charge of all the armies, he's in charge of all the angels, he's in charge uh, over all the earth and all the universe. There's nothing, no atom that is out of control of his power. He says, the whole earth is filled with its glory. Isaiah, get your eyes off of the troubles of the world. You come to me as a priest and you're bringing the burdens of your people before the throne. But I am on the throne. And I know. And I want you to know that I'm in control. Do we see God as he really is? Or do we bring him down to our level? Do we have a type of evangelism in the country today where there's a book that was written uh, a few years ago believe in God because he believes in you well on the surface that's true but folks God is not our servant we are to be his if, how big is your God is your God I heard of one uh, a, a radio host recently Talk about, you know what the church needs to get, do is get together and vote on some things and, and bring, this, this, uh, bring the church up to the modern age. No, folks, God never changes. If we're going to be holy, we come back to God. We don't make God into our own image. And so we got this idea today that, hey, God wants me to be happy. No, happiness is stumbled on as you're on the road to obedience to the Lord. All of a sudden you start realizing that the burdens are lifted when you start following God and, and doing what he says rather than what you want him to do. Is God just your little servant? Oh, I'll call you when I need you, Lord, but I don't need you right now. I'm having too much fun. And that's the way the world is today. I'm going to add Jesus to my life. Doesn't that sound good? I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and have all my entertainments, but then I'm going to add, I'm going to tack on a little bit about Jesus at the end. Now, my friend, Jesus doesn't want to be added to your life. Jesus says He wants to come in and take over. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. He comes in to take over. He doesn't come in just to be your little nursemaid. And this is what Isaiah saw. I saw the Lord lifted up in all my, in all of his glory. What am I to do? And notice what he does as a reaction to that. And when he sees a vision and when he really sees God as he really is, what does it do? He realizes, woe is me for I'm undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people on unclean lips. He sees himself stripped naked of any glory that he had, and he's standing before a God that knows every little thing about him, and it brings great shame. And folks, that's what light does, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine the shame that would come out of Washington, D.C. today if God's light shined down on every individual? But how much shame would be on us if God shined his light upon us? And all of a sudden, Isaiah saw, as anyone, when we really see God, we realize how sinful we are. And that's what salvation does. It's like whenever sometimes I've gotten up in the morning, and especially during these winter months, and I've got to go to a meeting or whatever, and Judy is sleeping in. And uh, I have... Yeah, I'm always afraid of doing that. Now I've got where I'm just going and wake her up. But I've put on the wrong coats. You know, I'll have on a, a regular suit and I'll have on a pinstripe suit, coat that just doesn't match or whatever. And I've done that. In fact, I went to a college one time and I had, I, in fact, those poor co-eds must have thought I was really frumpy. But I mean, I, was, I had my pinstripe suit on and a gray pair of pants. Uh, anyway, it was a mess. But uh, just all kinds of, that, but what? I needed light. But then again, you know, if you take light and you shine it on a bunch of bugs, what happens? They scatter. But think about if we saw every little thing that you have thought in your mind as well as what you have done this past week. How many would like us to do that? But we have a God who does. And when, he shine, when we see his glory... We see his light. He's the light of the world. But what does light do? It exposes us for all of our sin. And that's why people don't want to really know a true vision of God. Because folks, whenever we come before God Almighty, he's everything. And all of a sudden we, were, we, we realize just how sinful we are. And so we see that that's the first part of salvation. It's the first part of getting right with God is realizing who he is and what we are. We're sinners. I, Paul said, I realize, I, I realize within my flesh there dwells no good thing. Now, if the apostle Paul said that, and he's one of the greatest men that ever walked the face of the earth, who am I to say any differently? Paul said, that I know that Lord Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Not that I was chief, but that I am chief. Paul realized when he when walking daily with the Lord just how sinful he was. But then also Paul said to those who are around him, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So before we see God's grace, we must see his glory. But if we see his glory, we see our sin. And so we see that the cleansing of the Lord, or we see, first of all, the reaction. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And as a result, we see the, the, the conviction that he had that uh, I see myself as I really am. It doesn't matter what other people are. And let's just look at some of the things that he'd been preaching Turn back to chapter 5, and we said last week that uh, Isaiah loves the number 7. Well, he pronounces seven woes upon the people. 
And boy, he's really preaching at them. Remember for chapter one, he starts off preaching uh, to the people. And he's not a very popular uh, preacher, especially when you start the very first chapter saying you're dumber than oxes, oxen. You know, so we saw that last week. But now we see in chapter four, and he, or chapter five, I'm sorry. And he talks about uh, God being part of God's vineyard and how that you're now or you're, 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 you're producing sour grapes and you're crying for help and you're withering on the vine and things are happening. And then in verse eight, we notice in verse five, chapter five of verse eight, he says, woe unto them that join house to house. In other words, that, that term is the idea a lot of the richer people are buying up the land of the poorer people and not giving it back during the year of Jubilee. If we've, we've studied all that, where this land was supposed to stay in the hands of the original owners throughout the years. And yet the people now, the, like so much happens in free enterprise, the rich get richer and they start taking over everything else from other people. And as a result, their greed gets up more and just all of a sudden you have a bunch of oligarchs and very few people that have any land. And so he said that's a social problem. Then in verse, uh, eight, in verse 11, Woe unto them that rise up early, that, make their, uh, that they may follow intoxicating drink. So here you have drinking and they just thinking until the night and they then in flames in the night. They're just party animals. And boy, well, let's just have a big party. You only live in life once, so go with all the gusto you can. But then, uh, so their entertainments and so forth. Uh, notice uh, in verse 18, I hope I'm not skipping any of these, but he says, woe to them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity. So they're just wrapped up in their minds and their minds are twisted thinking. And, and all they can do is think of evil as then uh, the days of Noah Every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. And this is what was happening. Even in the land, they, they were forgotten their God. In verse 20, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Boy, are we there today. I just heard that, uh, I was just reading a statistic. You realize there's only 18% of the families in America today, the United States today, that are husband, wife, raising children. And that's, not, and that's not counting the ones who blended families where there's divorce and remarriage. Only 18%. That's less than 1% of the children going to school. Well, 20%. Only about 20% of the children going to school have a mother and father that are stable. I mean, I don't know if that's, I mean, that's what they're saying, but, I, you know, that's, I'm just, just reading statistics. But, uh, that, and we're having today government who is saying, to us, if, you're, if your children aren't perverted, then we'll pervert them for you. And if you don't like it, you know, you're the evil one. But not only the government, but society, folks. I mean, I go out and talk to people about the things of God. Oh, you're just old-fashioned. I mean, how, how do you expect me to be 25 years old and be, be married to someone for all their, my life? Uh, you're strange. I mean, that's not the way it is today. Well, that's the way God made it. And it doesn't matter how bad the world gets, folks. That's, what God, that's the standard of God. Now, do we have problems? Do we have uh, divorce and all that? Yes, unfortunately. It's affected my family in more than, way, more than one way. And oh, we all know how horrible it can be. And yet, folks, uh, that's not something we glorify in. That's something we're ashamed of, isn't it? Or that, we, that hurts us. 
when I say ashamed, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just saying that, oh, it hurts. And so he's saying that, uh, woe is me, that they call good and evil. Folks, that's never good. Uh, I, was, I told you about the uh, entertainment uh, lady. She was a little older than me, but she's up in her um, 80s or 70s, late 70s now. But uh, she was the, one of the great singers of the 60s. And they just did an interview with her over the Internet. And I just called and I said, okay, I'm going to watch. And she went through about 10 or 12 well-known men that she's lived with. And they were glorifying that. I mean, folks, we're in trouble today. Especially when we call those people that sing for us in church and be our entertainers. And so he said, they call good evil and evil good. Notice in verse 21, woe to the wise in their own eyes. Boy, talk about the Ivy League people today and all the transgender stuff. That's coming out of the high, I mean, those coming out of high places of learning. Notice in verse 22, woe uh, to the mighty man drinking wine. Uh, then the, verse, the, same, the same verse, woe to the man valued in mixing intoxicating drinks. Now, we're getting into a day, and another problem we're having is social drinking, even in church. In fact, I heard of a church recently that uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things you can do is you get there at 9 o'clock in the morning, they have a bar downstairs for you before you come to church. Now, three out of these, four out of these seven woes that, uh, that Isaiah speak, preaches on here have to do with drinking. Now, you might say, well, uh, pastor, what are you getting all that? But uh, be careful, because uh, even Habakkuk says, woe unto the man who gives his neighbor strong drink. I don't know what you want to call strong drink, but when the Bible says, woe, you better be very careful with drinking. And one thing we're not going to do is promote it. (laughs) But there again, uh, it's all there. And so he said, and so Isaiah could look at this being a priest and say, I don't drink. I don't, you know, do crowds around. I don't have all these entertainments. And he's thinking, I'm pretty good until he sees God. And all of a sudden it's not, woe are they, it is woe is me. And folks, that's what we got to That's the only way we keep ourselves pure. Boy, all these people in Belvedere, they're really, they just don't love God. And they don't go to church. Boy, look at all the problems. But then when I see God... And I really look into his face. Woe is me. Because I'm a sinner. I'm undone. And it's only by his grace that he has delivered me from the very penalties of the things that I preach against. And that you stand against. And so we see that when we see God, it keeps us humble. When we come before the throne of grace, and God gives us grace in the time of need, because we realize we need it. I need thee every hour, folks. Not only when I was saved, but every hour since then I've needed my Lord, haven't you? And so when I compare myself to others, I can become pretty good. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with the ones who do and all that kind of stuff. But when I compare myself to the Lord Jesus, who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing but a sinner saved by grace. So we see the conviction. Then we see the confession. 
Mine eyes have seen the king. I've seen you, Lord. I bow before you, fall on my face before you. And then we see the cleansing, that altar where the blood was sacrificed for the sins of the nation. And here we see the angel takes that, that uh, coal and he touched him. So I, he saw me, but then he touched me. And when he touched me, I was changed. I was cleansed. Folks, we don't have an altar today, except the altar of our heart. We don't have a cross where a man hangs down. We don't carry crucifixes around because the cross is empty. We don't have a grave because the grave is empty. We don't have an altar because the sacrifice has already been given. The altar of Calvary. The altar is our heart. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But how do we become holy? By not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, the worship of the Lord Jesus through his word, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nothing about me makes me holy. It's only the word of God working through me that cleanses me to make me holy. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Lord, keep me close. Don't let sin stack up. Oh, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that you don't, if you take care of the things that you know about and that God exposes in your life, that he'll take care of the things you don't know about. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I imagine Isaiah, as he stood before the Lord, he just felt totally out of it. I mean, just, you know, what do I do to cover myself? But then the Lord touched him. And so we see the natural transgression. Once God cleanses us, then we see he calls us. As you turn back to that chapter 6, and we see that in verse 8, notice, first of all, he saw him. He saw God as who he was. As a result of that, he saw God, he saw himself as he was. But then he heard the Lord. And notice he says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying in verse 8, you won't hear the Lord until he cleanses. But he says, I heard the, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go? One of the clearest indications of salvation one of the clearest indications of people getting right with God is, Lord, what can I do for you? How do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Lord, I have a hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because you have made me poor in spirit and I have seen you. Remember, look at the natural transgression in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see God. So when God cleans, when we realize we're sinners, and we ask God's blessings. He starts, we see and we start hearing him. And then what happens? We have a, he said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. We start looking for him. 
we start wanting to serve him. We want, to, we want to have that cleansed life. We want to see what can you do through me, Lord. And so we see that cleansing produces a response of a hunger to please God. And he says, and the Lord says, whom shall I send? And notice, here am I. Lord, send me. That's a great missionary call. So many missionaries have used that verse. But, oh, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, I'm not much. And you know that. You just exposed what I am. And that's nothing. But I am something through you. If you'll use me. Just use me, Lord. The greatest satisfaction in life is to know that you're working through me and changing my life in affecting a lost and dying world around me. Oh, that others will receive the Make me a blessing. We sing songs like that. Oh, I want to be a blessing to others. God gives us a hunger and thirst after righteousness. And what's righteousness? Loving, the God, loving our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's the whole Ten Commandments. Here am I, Lord. Send me. But the Lord didn't say it was going to be easy. In fact, as you read the rest of the passage, we see that he says, uh, Lord, uh, here am I, send me. And he says, go and tell this people. Keep on he- uh, they keep on hearing, but they do not understand. They keep on seeing, but they do not perceive. Now that's the exact verse that the Lord uses both in his parables as well as uh, later on in the, book of, uh, the last part of Acts where the Jews have turned away from God. This, is, this passage is used three different times in the New Testament with people turning away from God. But he says, they keep on hearing, but they don't hear. He says, make the heart of the people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. In other words, you're going to preach and the more you preach, the more people are going to turn away from you. There will be those saved. But you can expect a lost and dying world will want to be lost and dying. And it's only I that could break through it. And you keep telling them, return and be healed. And then I said, how long will this happen, Lord? And he says, because I've already pronounced judgment on Israel and they're going downhill fast. And you just keep on preaching even though the walls, even though the cities are burned, although the people are falling apart and they're taken away captive, the word of God lasts forever. And he says, and the Lord has removed men from far, uh, to far away. He says in verse 13, but yet a tenth will be in it. In other words, there's, there's that, uh, that remnant. You just keep on preaching. You might not, uh, the, the days of uh, the great revivals are over, Isaiah, but there's still the individuals I want you to reach with the gospel. He says, and will return in the, the, to the consuming. He goes on, he says, but he says, but who's stump? There's always that stump. And we know that Jesus Christ came out of the stump at the root of, of Jesse. The stump remains when the tree is cut down and the holy seed shall be its stump. So interesting, no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how sad we see things happen and the viciousness and the vileness, and yet God's grace is still abundant to those who believe. It might not be big crowds anymore, but God still works in the hearts of the individual 
Oh, I would love to think that God is going to work in a great sweeping revival. Again, we don't know if God would be pronouncing the, that upon our country. And like I said, I do not want to read uh, United States into Israel's history. But at the same time, the patterns are there, are they not? Oh, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, realize what, who I am and who they are. They were just a bunch of sinners. And the only reason that we don't do a lot of things the world does is because of the grace of God has worked through us. But that doesn't make it any more righteous than they are. We're just sinners saved by grace. And with his power and with, uh, with his love, we can preach to a lost and dying world. But they'll have to go through the same process we do. That is, they've got to realize once they see God, and that's the reason they don't want to be in church because they don't want to be around people that see the light because it exposes them. But oh, that if they see God and they humble themselves and pray and seek God's face, God will always hear and he will save those who come to him. As God's arm shortened that he cannot save, he's going to, Isaiah's going to ask that several times. Is his arm shortened that he cannot save? It is not shortened. He can still save no matter how bad the world gets, God still loves you and me. Do we want to see God? Are we willing to expose ourselves to an almighty God so that God can pick us apart, show us the things that we need to correct, humble us, and direct our paths in the ways of righteousness? Oh, may the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor. That's, the word blessed is happy. If you really want happiness, it comes from total fulfillment of God working in your life, even as that little uh, blurb that we put in the bulletin this morning from Jonathan Edwards. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. When we really enjoy God, then we're enjoying the God who made us. And that's where the total commitment and the total joy comes from. Joy that passes understanding that God gives to those who love him. Father, we come to you today. We want to see your presence in our lives. But Lord, we realize that there, it's a double-edged sword. Are we willing, Lord, to allow you to examine us and to point out anything that you want to correct in our lives? Any sin that we're not willing to give up? Lord, we might not be willing, but make us willing to be willing to follow you in every area of life. We thank you for saving us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it hasn't been by works of righteousness, righteousness which we have done, but it's been according to your mercy that we could even open our Bibles and pray to you this morning. But, oh, Lord, we pray that as you cleanse us, get, stir our hearts, Lord, to greater service to you. So, Stir our hearts, Lord, to compassion for souls as you love them, as you have loved us. 
Oh, Lord, use us. Here are we, Lord. Send us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.